0: Hey, everybody. My name is Synthesis. I am so happy we have a special guest today for you. Um, his name is actually David Combs, and he is a phenomenal musician. He is an author. We are going to talk about a lot of topics today. Um, I do want to encourage everybody just to uh, check out anchor.fm slash notes. And that's N-O-T-E with the Z at the end, not S. So we're just gonna get into it today. Um, and I'm excited. So Dave, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and then we're just gonna talk about a lot from there.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Synthesis, for inviting me today. Uh, our Our little chat we had the other day was so pleasurable. I thought, this is gonna be great today, and it <laughs> it will be. I promise you. And my name is Dave Combs, and I'm was born in East Tennessee. I'm an East Tennessee. I guess uh, you could call me a hillbilly. I was born in the hills of East Tennessee Mm -hmm. in a little town called Irwin near in the valley between Asheville on the North Carolina side and Johnson City on the other side. And it was, Tennessee is known for its music. I think everybody would agree that Nashville, Tennessee is Music City USA. Well, I think the whole state is probably music because if you go all the way to Memphis, Guess who was born in Memphis? And that was Elvis Presley, of course. Everybody yes. knows Elvis. <laughs> and then there's Dolly Parton on East Tennessee and, and also Dave Combs, of course. But uh, no, Do- Dolly's a little more well-known than I am. So, uh, But I was born into a musical family. My mother and father both played the piano and my, uh, a lot of my relatives did too. But, but primarily my grandmother Combs, my, my father's mother, Granny Combs, as we called her she was about four foot eight she came to about here on me wow and uh, she was born in 1894 and Mm -hmm. so she was a spunky little lady she grew up in some hard times she was a there were tobacco farmers up in southwestern virginia but she loved to make music she could play i don't know how I, i wish i had asked her where she learned how to play and i can i can never remember asking her that but i'd love to know that Mm -hmm. but she could play by ear and she could read what we call shape notes. The old hymnals had shape notes. And the shape, well, when you look it up, the shape of the note meant which, which note it was. You remember the old, the, 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 song from the sound of music, do re mi fa sol la ti do. Mm -hmm. Well, the, that's the scale. Do re mi fa sol la ti do. That's the, you know, the seven notes of the uh, eight notes of an octave. Well, each of those, Do has its own shape. Re has its own shape. Do, Re, Mi has its own shape. And they're unique shapes. And those the people that learned to sing knew what when that certain note was shaped a certain way, which one of those Do, Re, Mi notes it was supposed to be. Sing the melody from just looking at the shapes of the notes. And so that's why they call it shape notes. And there are still, believe it or not, holding on to the old tradition there are shape note singing fingers yeah things that people that sing shape notes and it's acapella they get together and they sing these old hymns that are in shape notes well anyway i didn't mean to get off on that oh no it's fine with, i'm learning but, a new term <laughs> but my, my my granny combs she one of the instruments she loved to play was an auto harp and i I brought her auto harp with me today mm-hmm. that you can see mm-hmm. It is an instrument, obviously a stringed instrument, and it's one that the old timey folks in the mountains of Tennessee and Kentucky and Virginia used to play. And it's one that you, you just push a push a button. Amazing grace. What? How sweet the sound. Anyway, my granny, this was hers. And she, when she passed away in the case that this was in there was a note underneath it that says this harp belongs to david combs my grandson and she signed it granny estelle combs and i still have that note in the case over here so i have her auto harp that she sang and played all many many years so there's a lot of memories right there in that 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 one instrument but that's the sort of the beginning i guess the genes inside of me Part of them came from Granny Combs, and those a lot of music in there. She loved music. So that was my beginning in East Tennessee, and I, we grew up in uh, the Baptist church. We were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and, yes. and music in the Baptist <laughs> church was a huge part of mm-hmm. the service. I've, the choir music, and, of course, we, had, we were blessed to have a wonderful organist and a great big uh, multi-manual Hammond organ and she could really play that hammond organ and we had piano so we would have piano and organ duets as part of our church service and so i grew up around that kind of music in fact my wife and i had piano organ duet music for our wedding when we got married the whole 45 minutes before the service and then during the service everything was piano and organ duet so music is a pretty pretty huge huge part of my my history and my background and I just love music. I, I love all kinds of music, actually. Whether That's it's right. church music or or whether I love jazz. I'm not a jazz player. I sure appreciate those that can play jazz. They're just amazing. I love to listen to it. And I love, you know, all the country. I love the old rock and roll songs, the doo-wop from the 60s and all that. I love those old songs. <laughs> and I, I just love music in general. But what about big band big uh, big band too yeah you know everybody grew up uh, i did remember we didn't go back to uh, go back to college until sunday night the, the lawrence welk show was over i mean <laughs> you, know, you had to watch lawrence welk right mm-hmm. so i love all that and the big band music it, it was just great but in college i was a math major and a physics minor I, I studied the technical side of things and i worked in the computer center i was a computer programmer when I graduated from college, I had four years of experience working in the computer center and I got hired as a computer programmer by Western Electric, which was an arm of AT&T, the Bell System at the time. Okay. So I, I started my life as a COBOL programmer for Western Electric. But in the evenings, still and on weekends, music and church was a big part of my life. You know, when I came home from Western Electric after a hard day's work. I likely would just go straight to my piano, sit down there, and start playing something. So my way of relaxing yes and, uh, so i've I've done Mind that all so. yours too, and so uh-huh. it's just it's just part of me, and so that's my early beginning is i had musical family musical roots and and music all my life has been a part of of my life and recently, of course, since I quit my job in ninety two i uh, basically was able to do my music full time and and that was uh something that I had always wanted to do, but uh had never been able to do it until nineteen ninety two and we'll talk a little bit about how that happened
0: okay now I know you mentioned a lot about your grandmother, so I also read that both your parents were musicians as well
1: mhm okay. they both <laughs> my mother took piano. She has, she, she grew, also grew up in southwestern Virginia, and she told me that she would walk for miles to go to take her music lessons from her piano teacher. And I mm-hmm. said, well, where did you practice? And she said, well, I went to my grandpa's house. They had a piano. Her grandpa, uh, McConnell, was a preacher, and he had, they had a piano in their home. And so mama would go to her house and practice on the piano there at, at grandpa's house, her grandpa's house. So she learned how to play piano by by reading music, and my father kind of picked up the playing by ear part, like Granny Combs. So he could just sit out the piano and play anything; didn't have to have a piece of music in front of him. He could just sit down and play. Wonderful, and uh, so that was both of them were music around the house all the time.
0: Okay, now do you also play by ear, or are you solely just the reader?
1: i can do both i took okay. piano lessons as a as an eight uh when i was about eight or nine years old and uh i studied for a couple of years you know went through the standard uh, book one and book two book three book four. you progress through the the sham series piano piano mm-hmm. books lessons so i learned how to, to read music so i i could at least if i wasn't very proficient at playing at the piano at the time i but I could read the notes, and but I also loved to sit down at the piano and just mess mess around. I I learned how to play chords. That's mm-hmm. a really important part of learning to play by ear is you just learn you know how to make the C E and the F or the C F and G chords and all those. And I studied how to do that. And I had friends too that were or musicians. I had some high school buddies. One of them was a guitar player. He ended up being the the jazz band guitarist for the the, the United States Navy jazz band, he was that good. Mm-hmm. And um, his name is Stan Moon. You'll see his name on a couple of my albums, actually. But so I grew up around people who could also play music and could play by ear. And it's just when you're around that, you that's what you want to do. And and I guess maybe when you're around those kind of musicians, you kind of that's what you're expected to do.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about your book. Um, there's going to be a lot more questions today, like I mentioned, but, um, my question I have for you, I hope I'm able to get an answer on this is who is the Rachel and Rachel song?
1: Well, they, uh, let me tell you about the writing of the song and Mm -hmm. that, uh, was not, if you go to 1981, Mm -hmm. this is one of the days when I came home from work with uh, just needing to relax and chill out a little bit, I sat down at my piano and I started playing a song. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't one that I'd heard before necessarily. It was, it was. I just started playing and the notes kind of came to me as I could hear them in my head what was supposed to be coming next. It was like a, a song that you'd heard a hundred times, but I really hadn't. And so, I, looking back on it, I think it was that song was just given to me at the time. It was, you can call it inspired or, you know, a gifted a gift from God or whatever. But I played the song. I did not write it. I, otherwise, you would say, well, I, you know, I really was trying hard to do this. No, I, my key, my hands on the keyboard, I just played it. And so that I played through the whole song verse and the chorus. I liked the way it sounded. It never changed after that. The the melody and everything was exactly the same, but it didn't have a name. In fact, I did not even know that I'd written a song until Linda came home. My wife came home from work a couple of days later and said, what's the name of this song I've got stuck in my head all day long? You know how you get an earworm where you just hum hum (laughs) over and over and over. Well, she hummed a little bit of it and I said, well, Linda, it doesn't have a name. It's uh, just something I made up. And she said, wow, you made that up. Have, have you written it down? I said, no, it's just I've got it up here in my head. I, I, I won't forget it. She said, no, no, I, something might happen to you. And then that song would be gone. So I want you to write it down on some music paper and put it in the piano bench. I said, yes, ma'am. OK, I will do that. So I did and, and wrote down the melody and the chords on a, on a piece of manuscript paper and stuck it in the piano bench. We tried to think of a name for it. You know, when you got a new song, you you want to name it something. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing we ever came up with was even halfway close to fitting the song. Well, you go forward about three, two years into 1983. Mm-hmm. Some good friends of ours had a little baby girl named Rachel and okay. they they asked me and Linda to be her godparents. And so, of course, we agreed to that. And at her christening service, Linda and I were sitting there in the back of the, the church on in the pews with the family and everybody up in front of us and and listening to the wonderful service going on, the minister saying all these things of blessings for the little girl and all this. And at the front of the church in the center of the, the platform was a beautiful baby grand piano. And I, it kept catching my eye. And at the end of the formal part of the service, and it was just us and the family and the minister, I punched Linda and I said, what do you think about me playing this little tune now that I've written that we've never could think of a name for it? So how about me just playing it as part of this service? She said, that's a good idea. So I went up to the front of the church and asked the minister and the family, if it would be okay if I sat down and played a a tune on the piano. And they said, well, sure. So everybody sat back down and I walked over to the piano, sat down, started playing and. The song, it, it was just a beautiful, it just sounded so good in that big church, a little church, but mm-hmm. the acoustics were really good. So it sounded really great. I got about halfway through the song and I kept hearing the little sniffles in the crowd and I had a little clear in their throat. And I I noticed that I was had a few little teardrops coming mm-hmm. out of my eyes. It's a very emotional song, as you, it you is. know, that you've heard it. <laughs> and so the family... Uh, was sitting over there with little Rachel in her mother's arms. And when I finished playing the song, I said, I looked over at the family and I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's song in her Mm -hmm. honor. And it was as if that was the name that that song was meant to have. And it was just perfect. And everybody loved the song and, and, and still love it since. So that was how the song got its name.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful story.
1: Yeah. I kept I was looking high and low, and I kept saying,
0: I want to know who Rachel is. <laughs> like I've heard the song down. Just like you said, I felt the same way earlier. I was like, this is like a peaceful, but a happy kind of like tearful moment. So tears of joy rather tears of pain. And that's one yeah. thing I really liked about that song, as well as a lot more of your music. It's very like tranquil. And I definitely think like in this day and time, it's very needed, even though it was written back in the 80s, um, Mm -hmm. as well as your other music, because a lot of people just need to be more calm now and (laughs) relax and just enjoy life a little bit better.
1: Yeah, the most (laughs) frequent word that I hear about my music is the word peace.
0: Mm -hmm. It seems
1: to bring peace to people. And and, and I guess that means if you're personally, it could mean that you kind of calm down and you're peaceful and not so stressed out. Yes. And uh, then that and the Lord knows we need a lot more peace in this world right now.
0: I agree. (laughs) Okay, so I want to know a little bit more about the story of how you were able to. It sounds like you went to Nashville Mm -hmm. and you were looking for somebody to actually write or not write, but play the song for you.
1: Yes. I was working for still working for Western Electric and which later became AT&T. And so from by the time I wrote it and named it, I was working for Western Electric and then they broke up the bell system in 1984. And I no longer worked for Western Electric, I worked for AT&T because Western Electric was part of AT&T. So in 1986, I was working as a, um, I guess you would call me an internal consultant. I was an expert in manufacturing, inventory planning and control. Uh, Actually, I was certified at the fellow level, which is the highest certification you can get by APICS, the American Production Inventory Control Society. And we were implementing new software in all of our factories to make the factories more efficient. Today, we would call this logistics. Back then, we called it just-in-time inventory. There were all kinds of names for it, manufacturing, resources, planning, MRP. It had all kinds of names, but today it's largely referred to as just logistics, getting things from here to there right on time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was traveling, and one of my travels, uh, the plant I was working with at the time was in Nashville, Tennessee. We had a, a plant there, so I would go on Monday and work all week, and come home on Friday. And Linda said, why don't you get a demo made of, a recording made of Rachel's song while you're there in Nashville? You know, there's musicians and studios everywhere, so I said, that's a great idea. So one evening after work, I go get my rental car and I drive over into downtown Nashville into an area of town that they call Music Square. Now, if you've been to Nashville, you you know yes. kind of where Music Square is. It's over there across the river, but it's where the Country Music Hall of Fame is, the uh, Songwriters Hall of Fame, the ASCAP, BMI, RCA Studios, all of those famous and notable business re- music business related businesses are there well i was driving down a little side street in music square called roy acuff place and roy Acuff Cuff, you may remember is a well-known loved country music person in nashville and at the end of roy acuff place was a, a large building that had a barn shaped roof to it and out front was this water wheel i guess they'd moved it from a real old mill somewhere And on the side of the building, it had a sign that said, the music mill. Well, I thought, hmm, this is encouraging. So I pulled in the the parking lot, parked the car, and went over to the door. I could see there was a man sitting at a desk in the lobby. So I knocked on the door, and he came, unlocked it, and he said, hi, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? Now, it's not the George Clinton everybody's thinking about now, but this, this George was a very highly thought of recording engineer in Nashville. And so he's, he said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for a studio to record a demo of a song that I've written. And he invited, well, come on in. So, and as I stepped through the door, I realized that where I was was probably a very special place because up mm-hmm. on the left wall way up there was a great big life-size picture of Glenn Campbell. Okay. And right here was a huge panorama picture of the group Alabama, you know, mm-hmm. the fam- great group. And here's the Forrester sisters. And then all around the walls were these gold records and platinum records. And it was just a, obviously a classy place. So I told George, I said, well, <laughs> I've never been in a studio before in my life. And he says, well, you're in luck. There's nobody recording right now, which is kind of unusual. It's six o'clock at night, which normally six o'clock is a recording slot time that they do. And he said, well, let me take you on a tour. And so we went up through Studio A there, you know, the showcase, the big studio mm-hmm. in the main big room recording room was the you could put an orchestra in there. It was a huge room. It was a great big room. And over in the corner, it had a Steinway nine foot grand piano over in the corner and, and was, an organ, too. Right. Probably. They probably I don't remember <laughs> exactly, but I'll bet they had an uh, probably back then they used a, the old Hammond B3 organ. Yeah. Most studios had one of those too. So he said, Well, let's go in the control room. So he opens this door that's about this thick, soundproof door that goes into the control room. And so we go into the this room and there's this console that would look like about eight feet long that had sliders and switches and knobs. And it was a, it really impressive. I think it probably, now that I know what it looks like, probably a 32 track console. It was big.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I thought to myself, wow, you could launch a spaceship from this room. (laughs) It was impressive. Had, you know, digital recorders, analog recorders, all everything in that room. So I asked George, I said, how much does a place like this rent for, by the way? And he looks at me, he said, well, it's $125 an hour plus engineer.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, this is 1986. That Mm -hmm. was a lot of money. A whole lot yep. more money than I even thought about. So he said, well, don't worry, Dave. He said, the, the fellow who owns this studio owns a little studio across the street. That's $15 an hour plus engineer. I said, OK, George, I can do that. So You're Later. <laughs> oh, that'll, that will work. And so I said, I just I need now I need to know a piano player that be willing to do the demo uh, arrangement of my song. And he said, I know just the person for you. He said, let's go back to my desk and I'll look up his phone number. His name is Gary Prim. And I said, oh, great, okay. He looked up his phone number on a Rolodex. Some of your folks will know what a Rolodex is. (laughs) It's the old (laughs) phone book on a card thing. And uh, he looked up Gary Prim's phone number, wrote it on a piece of paper and gave it to me. So I thanked him and I went back to my car and went to the hotel. As soon as I got there, I called Gary Prim up on the phone, got his answering machine, and he called me back in about 30 minutes. And I told him what I wanted to do, and he said he'd be happy to do that. Uh, all I needed to do was send him a, what he called a lead sheet and a recording of me playing it. And so I said, fine. One thing, though, what is a lead sheet? <laughs> I didn't know. You know now I, I feel kind of foolish now, but back then I didn't know what a lead sheet was.
0: I only so, know because I
1: went to audio school in yeah, Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I said, well, he said, it's just the chords and the, the melody written out. And I said, oh, I've got that. I just didn't call I didn't know what to call it. Right. <laughs> so I got back home, mailed him a tape of me playing it and a, a lead sheet. And two weeks later, I met him back in Nashville on a Friday after, evening at six o'clock on August the 22nd, 1986. I'll never forget that day because that day changed my life. We've met in the studio. He comes walking in with his Yamaha DX7 analog synthesizer under his arm. He brings it with him, sets it up in the studio. And he sits down at this little Yamaha baby grand piano that's in the studio, which I later learned was the first Yamaha piano ever shipped to Nashville, Tennessee. A little history with that piano. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to know which artist used to play on that piano since it was the first one in Nashville? I'll bet you maybe Elvis might have played on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Floyd Kramer may have played on it. Uh, all these famous musicians probably played on that old piano. Well, anyway, that was the piano that that was in that little studio. It was old at that time because that had been many years ago, but it still sounded great. So Gary sits down at the piano and starts warming up a little bit. And I'm in the control room where it's just a a small control room for this little studio with the engineer. And so pretty soon Gary's ready to record. So the engineer says, all right, I'm ready. So he pushes the record button and says, we're rolling. (laughs) (laughs) That's the signal, you know, where the tape machine is rolling. So, yes. So Gary starts playing Rachel's song and, uh, he gets about halfway through it and he stops he, he said I, I i can do better than that so we rewind the tape back to the beginning and start over and gary plays rachel's song all the way through that time no mistakes no problems whatsoever and i thought wow here i am listening to somebody play my music for the first time ever the only person that ever played it before was me and gary's playing it was same melody but I had never heard it played like that. Oh man. It was sounded kind of like best I've ever heard. And I was blown away. I was happy at that point, but Gary says, I'm not done yet. He says, we're going to make this thing really, really special. So he, he said, uh, rewind it. We're going to do two more tracks of electric piano on his yeah. synthesizer. So he put his headset on and listened to his, his acoustic piano part while he played along with himself on the electric piano sound on the keyboard and he nailed it. I mean, right on top of the notes, when you listen to that recording, you can tell when the electric piano comes in because the notes sound a lot richer and fuller, but yeah. he, there's no, there's no delay or notes out of sync. He nailed it. And then after that, he said, well, <clears throat> I think it needs some, some bottom and some top to it. He said, mm-hmm. let's add some low strings. So two more tracks. Set the synthesizer to the string sound and he adds the string, low strings to it. Mm-hmm. Then do the high strings, two more tracks, do the high strings part. And in the middle of the song, as you remember going through it about it, the verse in the chorus twice in the key of C. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you remember this. And when those those of you that are listening to this, I want when you hear it now, you'll know. But after the second verse, it goes up a half a step to the key of C sharp instantly. There's no modulation up to it. It just goes, and then right up to the, to the half a step higher. Mm-hmm. Well, that gives the song just another higher level, I think, of energy in the song and excitement and everything else. And then he said, I need to add some horns to that, kind of around that middle part too, to give it a little bit more fullness and to, to build it up to that, that transition to the key of C sharp. Mm-hmm. So he did that and so now we've got like about eight tracks is all we've used and he said i think we're done so he came in the control room and we all listened to it uh, to all of it mixed together and he said i like it he said i think that's good so i said that it's more than good this is (laughs) blowing me away i couldn't believe what my eyes were hearing and my my eyes were seeing and my ears were hearing so i wrote him a check for the agreed upon fee and, and and he packed up his synthesizer and left. And I didn't know at that time whether I'd ever see Gary Primer again or not. Little did I know that we and he and I would record over 170 songs together yes. in the studio over the years with 15 albums of music. And he is just, uh, has was, became my closest, one of my closest friends in my whole li- life and is like a brother. He is just such a wonderful, humble, but super talented young man uh, and a musician. He's just a wonderful person. So Gary Prim is the artist that has recorded all of the music that I have written. And uh, he, is, he is so much in demand in Nashville. You ask anybody in Nashville, yep. do you know Gary Prim? Oh yes, they know Gary Prim because he has recorded with the best of them. He, yep. Any big star that wants a piano or a keyboard gary prim is the go-to guy to get it done all right so it's that was the story of how i got it recorded
0: yes and i was reading that too that he was very highly sought after and it looks like Mm -hmm. present day as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i just want to talk a little bit more about where people can go to um, purchase your music currently um so i know that you're His website is actually Mm -hmm. combsmusic.com. You go there. It's a very nice website. I just want everybody to check this out. Um, You learn more about Mr. Combs. All his music is there. You can purchase right off of Amazon. There's lead sheets. His book link is there as well. Um, So I just encourage everybody just to go there. And you're going to be just highly blessed. I know I was. And like I mentioned earlier, if you're needing peace in your life, you definitely want to go to his website.
1: (laughs) Yeah, please. (laughs) I started getting mail from people once it got played on the radio. Uh, I started getting fan mail, which I'd never (laughs) got before in my life, of course. And most of those letters were telling me uh, how much the music had touched their lives. And Mm -hmm. and as I said, the the most frequently used word that I heard from people was peace. It -hmm. brought peace. It touched. They would say it reached in and touched my soul. And it, it it helped them heal. It helped them reduce their stress. I even had an, a, one lady who was an alco- recovering alcoholic. She said that my music was the main reason that she had maintained her sobriety. She said, before your music, she said, I couldn't sleep. I was so restless at night, I could not sleep. I purchased Rachel's song, she said, and listened, put it on and listened to it. Slept the whole night through for the first time in years. So and she said, she's, I, she said, I owe you a for a, a ton for helping me through my sobriety and keeping me basically sober for the rest of my life. And uh, things like that were really so touching and special to me. And I got over 50,000 of those kind of letters. I mean, mm-hmm. if you I, I'd like to show you the boxes that I have, but they're literally covering a great big table in my basement. And the boxes are, you know, about two foot. Deep, these are big moving boxes full mm-hmm. of letters, just and all of them are special. If, if I ever want to get myself pumped up a little bit or feel a little bit down, all I got to do is go to a box and start pulling out letters and reading them. I don't, my troubles just go far away because these people are all so confirming and affirming of, of my music and what I've done over the years.
0: Okay, and I want to get more into that. What do you feel? has been the biggest impact from your music, um, other than offering people that, you know, the peaceful sounds?
1: Well, I think it's just the, uh, the, the, the large number of people that it has reached
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and the different ways they, they would, e- even some people just hear it on the radio. <clears throat> Back then in 1980s, we had a lot of radio stations called easy listening radio stations that played only instrumental music. We don't have very many of those left anymore. But back then, people would hear my music, Rachel's song, and the other songs on the radio. And they would call the station and track me down and get my address from that and write me a letter. And a lot of those were really touching stories. Like one lady uh, that she had just finished her training as an EMT, an emergency medical technician. And she and her husband were on their way home, driving down their, their neighborhood and they saw an elderly elderly man fall down on the sidewalk he just collapsed well Mm -hmm. of course she was an emt trained person now and, and so she stopped the car and jumped out of the car and ran over to the man to see if she could help him and as she was going to the man she'd left the car door open she heard on the radio a song being played and so she was comforting the man trying to calm him down and she yelled back to her husband to turn that music up loud because she liked what she heard mm-hmm. and she said they, they turned the music up loud the car was right beside the sidewalk and so the man heard this soothing relaxing music on the radio and by the time the song finished she said he was calm back down and was okay and uh, and was not having any more difficulty and so she was amazed that that song had that effect on this man that was in such distress he got home and call the radio station, ask him. well, what song was playing at 6.07 PM or whatever time it was on the station? And he didn't even have to think about it, she said. He immediately said, oh, that was Rachel's song. Apparently, this wasn't the first phone call he'd ever gotten about that music. So Rachel's song, she got my address and wrote me that story. And that was one of the first letters I ever got from somebody. And it was it was so Special to me because I didn't know what I was going to do with my music at that point in my life. I hadn't really gone through the building of my Combs music business. I was still working for AT&T and I had no idea what, what was lying ahead for me with my music. You just don't know <laughs> the power that your music
0: has. And that's an amazing story. And I would love to see, like you said, the other letters that you have from that. Um especially like nowadays, just having sound therapy atmospheres. Um, I could see this being in schools, um, hospitals, like that situation, just everywhere. Churches, obviously. Um, it's definitely something that's needed. Um, I actually want to see if my workplace would um, incorporate having a Dave Combs day.
1: Okay. <laughs> just listen to the music. Well, you know, I've been, I'll tell you this. One of, another letter I got was from a, a high school principal in, I think it was in South Carolina someplace. Mm-hmm. And she said that uh, during break between class, when they were in the hallway going to the next class, mm-hmm. she started piping Rachel's song through the sound system in the high school. Yep. And she said, it was amazing. The, the amount of noise and the chaos that was in the hallway, it just calmed yeah. down. She said, it was totally amazing. And then there was one little a uh, uh, kindergarten teacher. She said, my little kids in the kindergarten, she said, your music is the only music that I can play that I can guarantee that when it comes nap time, they get on there. Each of them, there's a little blankie and they go to sleep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you
1: know, there's all kinds of those little funny anecdotal evidence that my music touches all, whether they're a little kindergarten kid or a high school student or. You know i've had students that tell me that they listen to my music while they're studying yeah because my music has no words you know when you're trying to study and you're listening to a good song that has words to it you're thinking of those word, the lyrics yeah. to that song while you're listening to it and that's kind of just that's distracting you're not really concentrating on your homework or your whatever it is you're trying to do your your creativity but my music has no words and so when they're listening to it, it doesn't distract them from whatever else they're doing. You know, I've had painters say they paint to my music. I've had sculptors say they do their sculpting to my music. My, my friend Bob Timberlake, who some of your audience may know he's an artist in North Carolina. He used to tell me that he would paint to my music. And so uh, it's a, it has all kinds of uses to help you. Be creative and relax and lower the stress level in your life.
0: Amazing. So I want to ask a question about recording 30, 40 years ago compared to today. Um, So I imagine when you were in the studio going back to Nashville originally, you were more than likely probably recording to tape. Am I correct?
1: You are correct.
0: So in this day and time, since it's mostly mainly digital, do you like more of the analog sounds and the tape from before, or do you prefer, or do you like the new sound, everything just being electronic now?
1: I like the I like high fidelity. I remember, you know, a, a cassette tape was okay, but the fidelity on a cassette tape was never the same as even a vinyl record, in my opinion. <clears throat> And when we got to the, the world of CDs, which was all digital, the fidelity was incredible. You could hear all the nuances, the highs and the lows they were all there. And so the bandwidth was just tremendous. Now, I know people like to uh, listen to vinyl because they say it has a much smoother. Uh, it's just hard to describe sound, but it is it's different. And, and I like the sound of the old vinyl records, too. We, we grew up, we had the old the big uh, LPs that I grew up with. We'd buy the, the whole set of the Time Life series of mi- instrumental music or Roger Williams's albums or that kind of thing and just listen to them. But I, I like the fidelity of the digital recordings, but you can carry that to extremes. That, and by that, I mean you're you're picking up all the sound, even the bad sounds that are around it, even tiny little noises that are in the piano or in the room yeah. that's gonna be picked up, and so you have to be careful that you're you're only recording the music, so to speak, but I like the fidelity of the new music, and um i i i but I still do like to listen to the older records we got boxes of old records that we 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 have that Maybe worth something now that everybody seems to want to go back to vinyl.
0: <laughs> yes. I bought a record player last year. So, yep. Mm-hmm. I definitely like the vinyl sound as well.
1: But you asked okay. about the recording studio, yep. and I was, gonna, I wish I had, it's right over here. If I had thought to bring it over here, I have, I still have my master two inch tapes over here in a cabinet about <laughs> 10 feet from where I sit now. Mm-hmm. But these tapes were about this big around, maybe yep. I'd say 15 inches in diameter. And the tape was two inches wide, and, you know, it was, it was regular recording tape. And the, it, one of those reels weighed about 20 pounds, maybe 25 pounds. It was heavy, very heavy. And it would only record because it recorded at 30 inches per second. It was a high speed recording. And that's how you got the f- high fidelity out of it, because it recorded a, a really good bandwidth of sound. And you could only get 13 minutes of recording on one of those reels. So when I would do an album, uh, let's say the album was 55 minutes long, I would have to bring home four or five of those two inch reels. And that's heavy. Now, unfortunately we drove the car to Nashville most of the time. And so I put them in the car, but can you imagine, you know, hundred pounds worth of recording tape, for one album of an hour's worth of music, and today, I have more power and storage right here
0: than the entire
1: country had at the time in terms of recording power and storage and whatever. This, you know, the, the gigabytes and the speed and the, the fidelity and everything is amazing. You can put it, you put a whole album, several albums, on a thumb drive. Put it in yep. your pocket, carry it home. It's t- so the technology has drastically changed from the analog world of the magnetic tape and to the digital world. First, then it was digital on tape, and now it's digital on you know, any kind of digital storage device, a hard drive or a thumb drive.
0: I'm actually surprised you answered that way. I thought you were going to say you're not a fan of the new age, but I'm glad that you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's so it's so convenient in terms of if I want to hear something quite often, if I'm we have smart speakers throughout our house, I'll just say, you know, uh, hey, so and so. I don't want to say it now because it
0: might it.
1: say, hey, whoever, whether it's whether it's Google or 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 one of the other boxes, smart boxes, speakers that you have, you just say, hey, play Rachel's song by Gary Primm. And. Mm -hmm here comes Gary Prim playing uh, Rachel's song right on the speaker. So you don't even have to have it on your phone or on your laptop or whatever. And it's accessible from anywhere in the world digitally, whether you've got Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Spotify is the big one now that people like to listen to downloads. And I mean, uh, streaming, you know, Apple Music, Amazon Music. So it's it's everywhere. And uh, so that's good. That's a good thing because, Used to, you'd have to worry about how am I going to get my music to somebody. Now I can just tell you, well, just go to my Combs Music website right in the middle of my homepage, push play, and you'll be hearing Rachel's song right now. And it's in the same fidelity and quality that it was when I got it recorded in that demo in Nashville.
0: Now, to your knowledge, have any other famous uh, musicians or bands or groups use your music or use samples of your music?
1: And the short answer is no. I have at, at times tried to <clears throat> pitch my music to other groups or uh, people. Mm-hmm. I sent it, for example, to uh, Roger Williams, who everybody re- may remember is the was Mr. Piano uh, when he was alive. <clears throat> I loved his arrangement of Autumn Leaves and all his music, actually. And got to hear him in concert a couple of times but i sent rachel's song to him thinking wow you know if roger williams would do a cover of rachel's song well that would just be golden wouldn't it i mean just everybody would love love that well i sent it to him and the word i got back from roger williams was he loved the song so much he said i cannot improve on this he said i do not want to change this one note and so I and I I thought to myself, well, I, mean, I wish he had recorded, but he I think he was genuine in his compliments of the song. And as, for those of your audience, when they hear it and when you heard it, I, I don't really another arrangement of it. I wouldn't just wouldn't be the same to me. Yeah. So I, I was sad, but happy that I got this compliment from Roger Williams. And uh, it, I did get it recorded or not recorded. I get it arranged and performed by a symphony now that was an interesting uh circumstance i have a a a friend here peter pare in winston-salem who was the former uh, director of our symphony in winston-salem symphony i played rachel's song for him i I took it to i called him up and went to his house and played it for him at home he loved rachel's song and he said uh, dave um, what you need to do is get this song arranged for symphony orchestra. I said, whoa, okay. How do I do that? Right. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. He said, I, I, I know uh, just the person that you can get called to do that. His name is Fred Tanner. He's the head of the music department at Winston-Salem State University. He's a good friend. He's a great musician. He plays jazz. He plays everything. He's one of these people who can play any instrument. And he says, a great arranger, too. And so I said, OK. And so I picked up the phone when I got home and I called Dr. Tanner at uh, Winston-Salem State and said, uh, Peter Paray says that you would be happy to see me about possibly doing an arrangement for a song that I have. And he said, well, come on over. And I said, OK. So I went over to his office, walked in, mighty friendly fellow, just a down to earth, you know, salt of the earth, great people. And, and so he welcomed me into his office and he said, well, let's hear it. So I handed him the cassette tape and he puts it on his cassette system there in his office and he's listening to it and I can tell he is really moved by this song. You you know you can tell when somebody's really into a piece of music. And when it finished, he said he looked up at me and he said, "Well, he said, "Dave, I do not have time to make an arrangement for this song for symphony. But I have to." He said, I have to do this for you. I said, really? And I said, wow, I don't know what to say except thank you. And I, I, this is just amazing that you would be willing to do this. He said, I can't do it right now, but I mean, I just I will be happy to do that for you. So it took him about a couple of months. I think it was November when I did this, played it for him. And by the end of about the first first of the year, I get a call from him. He says, well, I've got it done. Come and get it. so i went down to his office and he hands me and i I wish i'd have thought to bring that too but he handed me the conductor's score now if you've been to a if you know what that if you're a musician you know what that is it's Mm -hmm. it's the big long piece of music that the conductor has on his podium up there when he's conducting the symphony it has all the parts of the all every instrument in the symphony all their music uh, down the page and he could They're so gifted, they know exactly, they can look at the strings at the top and the horns in the middle and the uh, the percussion in here. He knows where everything is supposed to be. And so he hands me the manuscript, the conductor's score for Rachel's song. I said, wow, this, and it was handwritten, hands, you know, hand uh, scored by him. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is amazing. I said, what does it sound like? He says, I don't know, I've never had it played before. (laughs) <laughs> and I, that he was being a kind of facetious he had heard it in his head. Mm-hmm. These these kind of musicians that are that gifted, it's like Mozart or these wonderful when they wrote a symphony, they didn't have a symphony play it as they were doing it. They right. wrote the symphony out of the hearing it in their head. And this was the same with Fred. So I was just blown away. I, I took the, the this the conductor score, went back over to Peter Perret's house. And I said, okay, Peter, I've got it now. And he looks at it and he said, this is magnificent. He said, tell you what, we will play, our symphony will play this arrangement for the uh, Valentine's Day concert that's coming up in February, Mm -hmm. our Sunday afternoon, wonderful concert for Valentine's Day. I said, wow, that is amazing. And so Roll forward now to the Saturday night before the Sunday performance of Rachel's song. I go to the rehearsal. You know, they rehearse Saturday night before the big performance on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. And so I I go in there and Peter, he of course invited me to come to the rehearsal. I go in and I meet, the, he introduces me to the, to the symphony and to the, the first chair violinist lady and all, you know, the, all the musicians, they're just great musicians. And she said, okay, we're going to, let's play through Rachel's song. So he gets up there and he conducts this, the, the, the song and I was blown away. I mean, it was, of course, my music is so simple. You, <laughs> they're used to playing really complicated things that are yeah. fast and fancy. And mine is very simple, very soothing and, and lyrical kind of music. And I couldn't believe it. It was absolutely beautiful. And when he finished, the re- they only played it through one time. I said well, that is beautiful. He, I think he added one little thing at the end of the song, which when you listen to it, it's the sound or not in the middle. It's in the middle, right? And when it changes keys, it's called a bell tree. It's one of these tinkly. It's, it sounds like sleigh bells or something and in the middle of. You hear it. it the musicians will know what a, a bell tree sounds like. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing he added to what Fred had done. And then he's he said uh, that we'll do this to tomorrow, tomorrow night at the uh, at the concert. And then he said, oh, by the way, Dave, would you like to conduct it?
0: Wow.
1: Wow. (laughs) I'm sure my mouth probably flew open and I was because, you know, if you're a musician, you you almost dream of standing up there on that Mm -hmm. podium conducting a symphony in fact i'm sure if you've ever listened to a fantastic symphony and close your eyes if you're like me i'm there i I can conduct that thing you Mm -hmm. know you dream of that kind of thing well that was my i said peter this is that would be a dream come true for me and so i said this is just wonderful so sunday afternoon at the concert he introduced me and it was a packed house. There was not. I think the colise not the Coliseum, it was at the <laughs> convention center. Nine hundred people there. WXI television was even there taping the thing. And uh, so at at the event, he introduces me to the crowd and invites me to come up to the podium. And as I come up on the stage, he flips the baton handle first to me. So that it's i can take it from his hand and and i'm ready to conduct so i step up on the podium and get the ready to play and start start the downbeat for the music and i'm telling you i can still it gives me chills even thinking about it now because that was such a special special Mm -hmm. event and when i finished playing of course the sound was now you talk about surround sound When you're standing up in the podium surrounded by the orchestra, that is surround sound. It's a real surround sound. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. So anyway, finished, and I got like a two-minute standing ovation. I could not believe it. When I finished playing it, the the crowd stood up and just kept applauding, and I I was just blown away by that. And uh, I never will forget that. That was – so it has been – and I kept that arrangement of of the, the symphony i still have it and it's been played by other symphonies mm-hmm. and if you go to my youtube channel combs music c-o-m-b-s-m-u-s-i-c that's my channel name on youtube want, go down to my videos and down in there you will find a recording of the kingsport tennessee symphony of the mountains playing rachel's song and i'm there as a, a part of the audience along with my ninety, I think at the time she was probably 94 years old, my mother. First time that my mother had ever been able to hear my music played by uh, anybody else uh, in the symphony, certainly. And so here, that's the the first time she ever got to hear it played. And the last time she passed away three years later. But uh, that recording is so precious to me because it's 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 first of all, it's a great they're a great orchestra. uh, Cornelia lamley orth is the the conductor she's a now she's a good friend of mine She and I both serve on a an a advisory board to the Appalachian School of Music together but I didn't know that at the time she was just a, a friend and a, and a, somebody I knew that conducted the symphony but so you can listen to that recording on youtube and it's it's it sounds really good and it's uh, you can appreciate the the symphonic version of Rachel's song so I think that was probably a longer version of the story than we planned on telling, but this now you now you know. <laughs> now
0: you know. <laughs> that definitely sounds like a dream come true. Oh, just to be up was. on that stage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I want to close out today. Um, actually with two questions. The first one I want to ask you is what is in store for you next? music-wise? Do you have any projects coming up or I know you put out so many already? Are you currently working on anything?
1: <laughs> I haven't written any new music because mm-hmm. uh, as I've discovered over the years that uh, there reaches you reach a point where you, you've kind of saturated the market, so to speak, with your own music. And mm-hmm. maybe someday there'll be a time when I will need to write new music and re- re- record some more. But I have 15 albums now, and my current mission with my music, my current project is to spread the word about my music to the rest of the world that had never heard it before. You know, there's, there's millions of people that have heard Rachel's song on the radio and streaming and whatever, but there's many millions times that more that have never heard Rachel's song or any of my other music. And so I'm on these podcasts like this with you today, and I'll do two or three of these every day telling people about my music and and my book also uh, the stories in there are really just to uh, to tell you the stories of how i came to write the song and recorded many of what i've talked about today is in the book and on chapter 21 of my book i have about 22 pages of these fabulous notes and stories that people wrote to me over the years I selected some of the best ones and put those in my book so you can read those notes that I got from these people about how the music touched them. I have even two letters that I got from Paul Harvey, of all people. You may remember Paul Harvey was the radio announcer out of Chicago that was famous for his the rest of the story. You know, he would (laughs) tell a a story and then later come and tell the rest of the story. But Paul Harvey and his wife Angel loved my music. They played it at dinner time at their home, and he talked about me surprisingly on the radio one day. I got a phone call. That says, "Hey Dave, turn on your radio. Paul Harvey just talked about you." I thought, really? <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, so a lot of people have been touched by the music, from famous people to not to just ordinary people like you and me. So it was, uh, it was it's been a blessing all my life and my mission is to continue to spread the word through my book which helps hopefully inspire entrepreneurs and musicians to do something with your music don't just keep it in the piano bench get it out play it and do something you never know what's going to happen with your music sometimes it can take a life of its on a life of its own like rachel's song did
0: well you answered the next question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i was going to ask you what would be your interstellar moment you would tell your five-year-old version of yourself but you basically it's
1: really just to to take your your passions and keep those passions whether it's music or art or whatever you you love as a child and as a young adult keep that all your life and when you're in the, your senior years of your life hopefully those passions will still be there with with music and your other creative parts of you you know i i may be a, a fellow that's lost the top of his head with the hair but in many ways i still feel like a teenager with some of i, I get just as excited about new things as i ever did I, I like to learn things i like to do things i love to play table tennis i like to go on bike rides i love to hike in the mountains i love to take photographs with my camera and I've tried to marry my photography with my music on YouTube. When you go there, you'll see a lot of music videos I've created with my pictures and my my music playing. And so, it just stay interested in whatever inspires you, and and uh, just be grateful for the gifts that you have, and also be willing to spread those gifts around, share them with other people.
0: Okay, amazing. Well, Mr. Combs, I definitely thank you for. Being on my note show today, it's been such a blessing. You've actually even inspired me to go in my closet and get out some songs (laughs) I need to put out. So I'm excited about that, too. And like he said, for anybody who's just looking to pursue your dream, one, never give up and just pursue it and keep going no matter what. Mm -hmm. And um, once again, his book, as you can see on the screen, is called How the Story and Music of Rachel's Song Can Change Your Life. You can purchase that by either going to his website at combsmusic.com or you can go straight to Amazon and you should be able to find the title on there as well. Um, So once again, check out all the many songs, make sure you're spreading it to your friends and everybody else and doing your downloads and you're going to be truly blessed as well. So once again, I thank you and I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next for you.
1: Thank you Synthesis this has been a real pleasure today and uh, you are such a delightful person to talk with and uh, oh, I really I'm honored that you had me on your show today
0: The springtime reflections by Dave Combs